Having a good morning? Good morning. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. My name is Gary, in case you don't know me. And I'm happy to have you here today. We are excited. Honestly, guys, there is no other way than to follow Jesus as far as I'm concerned. There is no other way to live your life. And uh, we're going to be talking about how do you handle difficult times, how do you handle a test today in just a little bit. But I just got to say, there's no other way to do it. And guys, it's something we should be excited to be here, don't we? And I am excited to be able to share with you and to talk with you. And so I just wanted to let you know about that before we get started. Guys, before we get going, I have a few announcements that uh, I need to, need to make. Uh, first one, just so you know, is that Willie Dale is in the VA hospital. Is that correct, Bob? Okay. Uh, I don't know if you know, know Willie or not. He's an older gentleman. He sits in the back a lot of times. Uh, rather quiet and unassuming. Uh, but Bob has asked that, that we all pray for him. Uh, has a number of things that he's dealing with, health issues that he's dealing with. You know, uh, as who is it? Uh, uh, Stan Musial once told Jack Buck that if you're 70 and nothing's wrong with you, you're dead. And uh, so Willie is over 70 and he has more than a few things wrong with him. That's normal. Uh, but guys, still be praying for Willie. And uh, just to show our love and our concern, he is in the VA hospital. I'm sure he would appreciate some visitors. Would that be? Yes. Okay. Which... Cochran? Okay, the Cochran VA Hospital. And if you've heard anything about the VA Hospital lately, you may uh, appreciate some people there and some prayers. <laughs> uh, a couple things, guys. One of the things is uh, Nathan already told you about primary camp that he just got back from. And in two weeks from today, our teen camp is going on. And I announced it last week, and I want to announce it again, that we have a policy of no child left home from church camp, and we still have some that are in need of some funding. We know, I know that some of you gave uh, last week uh, specifically for that to sponsor a child uh, or sponsor part of a child. And uh, so if you want to do that, guys, if you just write on your check on the memo, this is for teen camp, or hand it to Mike Denius. Mike, raise your hand. Um, We'll get that taken care of, guys. Church camp is something that impacts children in a huge way. And we're big, huge fans of church camp here around Greater Alton, in case you haven't noticed. My last announcement, and I have been told, not asked, told to read this word for word. Okay, right, Steph? <laughs> this is from Steph and Dan Gill and their family. It says, a great big thank you to the church. We want to thank everyone for helping us move and pack and clean our old house. Thank you for the food and the, and the prayers. We are in debt to God and our church family. We love you. And we are so grateful for you, Dan, Steph, Morgan, and Ethan. So anyway, guys, on with the lesson. Now that the announcements are over with. Tim has been doing a series entitled Why? And, you know, just answering that question of why, that's a very popular question. Jesus asked that question on a number of occasions. He asked it to answer a question. He'd ask the question of why something. And I didn't realize it till the day I was looking back over the topics that Tim's covered. And he's only covered two topics before last week when I got up here. And they were why ask the question why? And then also of why am I here? You know, what's my purpose in life? What does God create me for? What am I doing on this world, in this world for the first place? 
And I encourage you, if you're curious about those, you can go to our website at greateraltonchurch.com, and you can listen to those. They also have the notes there. Uh, you can click on and you can read the notes while, while you listen if you like. We also have CDs available out at the Information Center um, after church. If you just go out to the round table in the small dome. In fact, if this is your first time here, we offer you a free CD of whatever lesson you want to hear. That pretty cool? Free. And you can have it of today's lesson. You can have it of last week's lesson or one of the others if that's what you so desire. Uh, but we encourage you guys. We just want you to be exposed to what God has to say. You know that? We're not here to turn a buck. We want you to know what God has to say. But last week I started talking about and dealing with the question of why do bad things happen? Anybody have anything bad going on in their life? If you're breathing, most likely you do. Okay? And I say that because that was one of the things we looked at right off the bat. Is that difficult times are the normal are the norm in life. I mean, that's what, that's what God tells us. He doesn't say, if anybody ever tells you, well, if you live for God, nothing bad will ever happen to you. Run from them. Okay? Because God says the exact opposite. In fact, Jesus said that in this life, you will have many troubles. In Second Timothy 3, He says that anyone who wishes to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And guys, you even want to get more basic than that, you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve you know, ate of the fruit, brought sin into the world, and God pronounces a curse on man, and He says, you know, it's basically, and I'm paraphrasing, He says, it's going to be difficult to feed your family. He says, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to, you're going to try to raise a crop, and the ground is going to produce thorns and thistles. And all He's saying is, guys, things are not supposed to be easy. You are going to have trouble. You are going to have difficulty. Okay? The bumper sticker from the 80s was right. Okay? It happens. Things are going to happen. And you're better off understanding that and seeing how to deal with it than you are to get all upset about when it happens. And we also talked about, guys, why does bad things happen? And we really we looked at three reasons that bad things happen. One is they are consequences for our actions. In First uh, Peter chapter 4, Peter wrote to the people, and he goes, if you, he's talking to them about suffering for being a Christian, and he says, if you suffer, it shouldn't be as a murderer, or as a thief, or as someone who meddles into the other, you know, butts into the other affairs of other people. What is he saying? You're going to suffer if you do those things. You live wrong, you're going to have consequences to faith. The second reason uh, that we have hard times is because we're being tested. So James 1 says that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. And guys, and then the third reason that we talked about was that it's usually a combination of both of those. Or it can be a combination of both of those. What, well, how is that? Well, if you are suffering consequences right now for your actions, you're being tested. Are you going to get it right yet? Are you going to get it straight? Are you, are you going to finally start living right? Or are you going to just keep suffering bad things? And guys, we focused really in on what is a test. You know, we're being tested. Well, what's that all about? And, I, and we talked about how a test is not a pass-fail situation like we see it sometimes today. You know, it's not just something to get through and then I'm done with that. 
Okay? How many students are done with tests, right? How many kids not just graduated from high school or college and they think, I am never going to do another algebra problem in my life. They've endured it. They've passed. The question is, did they learn anything, right? All they care about is they're done. Well, tests from God are tests in our, in, our, in our relationship with God and tests of our faith. They're designed to, refi- to reveal to us where we are and to refine us. That's what we talked about last week, is that they are designed to show us where we are. If you're in a place where you're not doing well, you, that just shows you where you need to start. The question is, are you going to allow God to refine you? And so, guys, today what we're going to be talking about is how do I survive? How do I handle a test? If it's only a test, how do I handle it? How do I handle it? Guys, there's a couple of verses I want to I want to read to you. Um, they're in First Peter, one's in chapter two and verse twenty, the other's in chapter four and verse nineteen. It says. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. The other one says, so if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. You see, guys, God is concerned with how we suffer. That's what that tells us. You can suffer in a way that pleases God, or in a way that displeases God. And how you handle that suffering or the test will determine whether or not you please God or don't please God. Now, does anybody have a favorite passage of Scripture in the Bible? Favorite story? I'm not going to ask you to share it. but Most of us do. We have a favorite character. Uh, I have several of them, okay? Um, but there's one that God keeps leading me back to. And that I just can't stop going to. And, 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 and He led me to this recently. Most of you know our family is dealing with a difficult situation with our, our middle, middle child, Jordan, uh, decided he didn't want to follow Jesus anymore. And I don't know, but that kind of rocks your world. Okay? It, it really does. And we're dealing with this and looking at it, and I'm not sure, but it may be about the most difficult thing I've ever had to deal with. The most challenging thing to me in my faith, and it's tough. Now, I go back, God led me back to to one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Some of you know who that is, okay? Some of you can tell me book, chapter, and verse for my favorite character. He is a guy by the name of Jehoshaphat. And you find the story about Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles, actually chapters 16 through 20. Okay? If you really want to look at Jehoshaphat's life, I encourage you to really start back in chapter 12 or 14 and look at his family life and all that. But guys, Jehoshaphat was an interesting character because he was a king of Judah. Okay, it was, it was the nation of God's people. God's nation had been split into two groups. They were referred to them as Israel and Judah. Now, typically overall, Judah was the good people. And Jehoshaphat was the king of them. But not every king was good. Jehoshaphat was a very good king. A very, very good king. 
And you look at him, he was the guy, his dad was a, was a man that sought after God. He became a man who sought after God. And it was very cool in chapter 17 when the story first came on about, comes on about Jehoshaphat. It says he led the people in, in seeking God. He tore down the, the, the idols that were in the land. And as a result, God gave him peace throughout all the land. Very cool. Very cool. Chapter 19, he's back doing this after he makes a blunder, which I'll talk about a little bit later in chapter 18. He, he does something really stupid. And in chapter 19, he gets back on track. And he's telling the people, he says he's turning the people back to God. He traveled around the country and turned the people back to God. Now in chapter 17, when he did that, God brought him peace. And people, in fact, the, the, the other nations that would normally come against him or potentially threaten him, it says the fear of God fell on them and they brought him gifts. You know, they wanted to be his friend. And, they brought, and it says he had great wealth and great honor. And that was the result of him turning the people back to God. In chapter 19, he does the same thing. He turns the people back to God. And you know what happens? This time, the fear of the Lord doesn't fall on the other nations. In fact, a couple of them get together and say, we're going to attack you. Now, guys, a real quick side note in all that is there's no formula for following God and making everything turn out okay. He did the same thing in chapter 17 and 19, but the result was different. And so, guys, you need to understand, back to what I said earlier, that... If you think, hey, I'm going to live for God, everything's going to be great, everything's always going to be great, I'm just, I just got to keep doing the same things, that's not how it works. That's not the way it works. And so, guys, I, I tell you all this about Jehoshaphat because I'm going to be referring to him a lot in these next three, in these, in these three things we're going to be talking about today. And, guys, it's where God has led me. And it's teaching me how to continue how to deal with hard times. And guys, I think there's some things we can learn. So guys, three things. It says, I, I handle my test by, by understanding three things. Alright? The first thing is, this is a test of my faith. This is a test of my faith. God's not testing your, your knowledge. He's not testing your ability to work hard. He's not testing... Uh, your ability to do math, as we talked about earlier. He is testing your faith. In James 1, this has kind of been a theme passage the last two weeks. This is what it says. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops or produces perseverance. Guys, you need to understand that faith is the target that we're shooting at. Faith is my target. That is what God is after, is trying to create in our lives. He's not just trying to get you to endure things. I was talking with Steve Leibarger uh, before church started, very briefly. But I don't know if you know, but Steve and Carla are getting married. Is that correct? I knew that. July 12th, is that correct? He thought that was the right date. I asked Steve, we were standing in the back, and I pointed here, are you getting married here? He goes, I don't think so. That's some information he needs to find out. You know, if you don't find that out, Steve, you're going to be in a heap of trouble. You may be in a heap of trouble now, for all I know, but... <laughs> he is. Okay, thanks, God. 
You know, guys, he needs to know where he's getting married, doesn't he? If he doesn't find out where that location of that wedding is, he's in trouble. He needs to know where he's supposed to be and when. So you can't expect you can't expect much more beyond, from him than beyond than that. Okay, I just tell you the man. Okay, that's about all you expect. When and where? That's all we can get. Guys, he needs to know that. Because it's the same way. When you're talking about facing a test, you need to know where God's trying to get you. Because if you don't know what you're shooting for, you don't know where you're trying to go, you will probably have a problem. Now look at these passages of Scripture here, guys. That you see in your notes. First one's in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And it says, It is impossible to please God without faith. Underline impossible. Guys, you are not going to make God happy unless you have faith. Romans 14 and verse 23 says, But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. See, guys, I talked about last week that God wants your faith to touch every area of your life. And that's what this is saying here, guys. That what? Even down to what you eat. Now, they're talking more specifically, and if you want to go back and read Romans chapter 14, you do it. It's a great chapter of the Bible. But it's talking about they're having controversy over whether they should eat certain kinds of food. Specifically, whether they should eat meat that has been sacrificed to an idol or not. And he says, it doesn't matter whether you do or whether you don't, if whatever you do is by faith. If by faith you say, I should not eat it, then don't eat it. Otherwise, it's sin. If by faith you say, hey, I'm free to eat whatever I want. It's good food and it's cheap. Eat it. He says, well, you've got to make sure that it's a matter of faith, that it's an issue of faith, that you actually believe what God has to say. You see, I don't know about you, but when I read those stories in the Old Testament about the people who live by faith, I'm glad it was them and not me. Anybody else like that? You know, who wants to be Abraham that God told him, asked him to, to sacrifice his son to him? I mean, literally, kill him on an altar as a sacrifice. Who is going to sign up for that? I mean, and the Bible says, it's very clear, it says... God had already told him that, hey, I'm going to make you into a mighty nation. Your descendants are going to be more than the sands of the sea. And it's going to come through your son Isaac. And then he says, now go kill him. And it says that Abraham reasoned that God could raise him from the dead. I mean, this is what he says. He says, God said, I'm going to be a mighty nation through my son Isaac. And he wants me to put him to death. So I trust God so much that I'm willing to do what he says and I'm going to trust him that he can bring him back from the dead. Now, God stopped him before he killed him, by the way, okay? But who wants to face that test? Who wants to make that decision? I don't want to be there. What about that, those three guys in the book of Daniel? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know? Bow before the king or go into the furnace. And their answer is, well, our God can save us, but even if... He doesn't. We're not going to bow to you. I mean, how would you like that? 
You bow to the idol, you bow to the king, or you die. Who wants to face that decision? You see, guys, most of the time, I mean, that's just the way we are. We look at those big stories. Who, who wants to face Goliath? Who wants to kill Goliath? Go out there with a rock when he's got a sword and he's nine feet tall. I don't want nothing to do with that situation. I am glad that I was not, that I was, if it was for me, the story would turn out a whole lot different. I'm sorry to say. But here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. God has, th- has actions of faith for you that are just as monumental as those that those people faced. He's got things. That he wants us to live by faith the same way that they did. Now, that doesn't mean that we are all going to, hey, we're all going to all have to face the giant or part the Red Sea or, you know, decide whether we're going to be in the lion's den or whether we're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace or we're going to have to sacrifice their child. We're not all, in fact, I think very few of us are going to have to face that. But can I tell you that God wants you to live by faith in such a way. He wants you to trust Him so much that if you were in those situations, you would respond the way those people did. His goal is that you live by faith. You see, now I personally wish that once I decided to trust Jesus, everything else would come easy, don't you? I mean, when you decide you wanted to follow Jesus, when you just said, hey, I'm going to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior... I trusted God with the biggest problem I will ever have in my life. Sin. I trusted that Jesus' death on the cross, His blood washed away my sin, that I was united with Him in baptism, and I rose to a new life. That's the biggest problem any of us will ever have, right? Now, you would think that once that problem is taken care of, and once we trusted God with that, shouldn't everything else come easy? It doesn't. It doesn't. Guys, faith is something that has to grow. It has to continue to go on. If you might, might reference it in your notes in Second uh, Peter chapter 1, and go back there and read that, verses 5 through 9. It talks about how God expects our faith, for us to have faith in increasing measure. What does that mean? The challenges are going to get bigger. God expects the challenges in our lives to get bigger. See, guys, you need to know that that's your target. You need to know that that's what God is after. See, guys, in Second Chronicles 20 and verse 12, this was our theme from two years ago here at Greater Alton. It says, and what happened in Second Chronicles 20? I told you about Jehoshaphat. The army's coming against them. He called the people to fast. The whole nation came together to fast and to pray. And Jehoshaphat prayed, and this is how he ends his prayer. He says, For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You see, guys, now I want to I ask you, when you're, having a t- when, you're, when you're going through tough times, when your faith is being tested, which characterizes your prayers more? Okay? Is it more of a whining you know, is it a more of a, God, get me out of this? 
You know, several years ago when my daughter was young, I, I was talking to her between services, and I don't know where she came up with this. I think it was in a TV show or a cartoon or something. There was some little spoiled brat girl, and she was like, and there was this, she would say, Daddy, I want a pony, and I want it right now. And, you know, Jesse would say that to me every now and then, just being funny. And, and then when I thought she was being that way, I would go, she would ask me for something or, you know, be kind of demanding. And I go, right now. You want it right now. Well, guys, how many of us are that way with God? I want out of this and I want out right now. I want this problem to go away. Yeah, I know I created it, but I want it to go away right now. God, just, I don't want you to change me, God. I want you to change my circumstances. Is that what characterizes your prayers during hard times? Or is it, God, show me what you want me to do? You see, guys, that's what Jehoshaphat prayed here in Romans, I mean, in 2 Chronicles 20. He says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You see, guys, that's faith. That's looking to God saying, look, this is rough, but I believe you're going to get me through it. Show me what you want me to do. See, guys, and that leads us to the second thing that we need to understand is that re- real faith requires me to take action. Real faith requires me to take action. Wouldn't it be nice if God were just a genie? You know, you got three wishes. you got three lifelines. I'm going to bail you out three times. After that, you're done. Use them wisely. And you would know that, hey, when I called up God on my problem, He just, poof, make it all go away. That's not how he works. That's not how he works. See, guys, we just talked about that faith is what got what was the target, the testing of our faith. When we have a, when we're being tested, that's what it's at, being tested is our faith. Now I have a I call it Gary's definition of faith. I can't. I don't have a verse in the Bible to show you for this. This is just my practical definition. It helps me. I think it'll help you. Here's what it is. Faith is when you take specific action based off specific Scripture and you trust God for the result. Well, that's what is that all about? It means, guys, that if you're going to have faith in God, you need to know what God says. And you need to know what He says And then you need to not just know what he says, but you need to act on it. You need to take some action. You see, guys, this is what you see going on in 2 Chronicles 20. But before we go to that, I want to ask you, how much do you really believe God? How much do you really believe God? Do you believe that God will literally answer you when you pray to him? See, I ask that question because we live in a time where when somebody starts saying, well, God spoke to me, we start thinking they're a little off the rocker. God communicated to me. You know, I was telling, we were talking about it in in the first service. You know, some of you remember back in the 80s, there was a well-known preacher from Oklahoma. And he went up into this tower and he says, God told me not to eat 
until a million dollars is donated. I will die unless you people donate a million dollars. Now, I don't know about you, but I thought that was a little whack. A little manipulative, too, you know. I don't remember how that turned out, but he didn't die. But guys, normally when you hear somebody talk about God spoke to me, God revealed to me, I have a word from the Lord. Most times when people say that, you wonder about them, don't you? That's just the way it is. And I'll be honest with you. When I first started, God started opening my eyes to this. But Gary, I will tell you what you're supposed to do. I was very hesitant to say anything publicly, even at church about it. Because I wasn't sure what people would think. See, but here's the truth, guys. Jesus gave us three little, three little promises in His Sermon on the Mount. And they're very simple. He says, number one, if you seek, you'll find. Okay? If you ask, it'll be given. If you knock, the door will be opened. Do you believe that? See, because if you ask God, what am I supposed to do? I believe He's going to give you an answer. And if you say, God, I need the door open to know what to do, He's going to open the door. And see, guys, this is very important. Because I ask this and I emphasize this about, do you really believe that? Because there's this other passage in James chapter 1. You know, we've been looking at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. For, you know, it's in your notes up earlier. Verses 2 and 3 is about... Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its course, so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. But then after that, this is what he says, beginning in verse 5 in James 1, he says, this isn't in your notes, it's not on the screen, I apologize. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. See, guys, I ask you, when I'm talking about faith requires that you take specific action, when you look at the Bible, guys, you got to have your mind open to the fact that God will tell you what to do when you read His, His Word. Do you know that? He will tell you what, how to apply it. Just like Jehoshaphat, where he says, guys, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Jehoshaphat believed it. And you know what happened? Let's look at what happened. It's in your notes, Second Chronicles 20, verses 14 through 17. I chopped this up just for emphasis as well as for space. After they prayed their prayer, this is what happens. It says, then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. Tomorrow, march down against them. Take up your positions. In fact, guys, he goes on to say, not only to take up your positions, but they're not even going to have to fight the fight. They're just going to go watch the victory that God brings about. 
but he tells them specifically what to do. Guys, I want to tell you that God will give me specific action if I ask Him. God will give me specific action. See, let me tell you guys, when your faith is being tested, God's asked, God's going to see how much you really believe Him. If you go back and read the book of Job, if you're familiar with the story of Job, uh, basically what happens is Satan approaches God and says, hey, uh, of course Job follows you because you protect him. Let me attack him. Let me destroy everything in his life and we'll see if he still believes you. We'll see if he still has faith in you. As God's trying to get you to not believe in Him. God is getting you to try to slow down. To not take action. Guys, when it comes to... in a, I told you earlier that this, this, this situation with my son Jordan probably the most difficult thing I've ever faced. And so back in May, I do some journaling on occasion. I've got a journaling program on my computer and I, I like to type out my thoughts. It helps me clear my head. And I was sitting down, and where did God lead me to? Second Chronicles 20. And what did he say? He's, you know, I wrote it down, and he said, you know, God, he said, go take your positions. I believe, guys, that when you seek God, he will give you a position to take based off what his word says. He'll give it to you. What is my position? Well, one of them is, is James 1. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. You see, two days before Jordan told us of his decision to quit following Jesus, uh, I was in the small dome, not in the small dome, I was in the great room, with our zone praying. And as I was praying with the men, I was praying about James chapter 1. And I was praying about God, I can remember saying, I was saying, God, I'm not much of a joyful person during hard times. I'm just being honest. I am more of an endurer. Okay? I mean, I have a hard time smiling and be joyful and excited when things aren't going my way. Anybody relate? I'm just, be, I'm just being honest. I feel like I've come a long way. I don't get depressed anymore. I, I've, I've learned how to learn from the situations. I've learned perseverance. But I'm not joyful. Two days later, I find out my son's not following Jesus. Now, I believe that falls into the category of trials of many kinds. The top of my list, when I'm praying to God, what positions do you want me to take? I want you to take a joyful position, Gary. What does that mean? That means we know you're going to be tempted with being depressed. We know you're going to be tempted with being discouraged. And you cannot be that. You've got to go the opposite direction. He gave me a specific position. I went through, I listed several things there. You know, that I, I wanted to shrink back. Guys, I, wanna, I want to I wanna go crawl under a rock. Okay, let's just be honest here. I want to say that everything I've worked for is, is now just been built, dealt such a tough blow that I need to sit on the sidelines for a while. That's my temptation. You know, 
And God leads me, again, back to Jehoshaphat. You see, guys, Jehoshaphat had a problem with one of his sons. If you go read Second Chronicles chapter 18, you'll learn about this. And I'm not sure all the details he doesn't give us, but basically he lets his son marry an ungodly woman. He forms an alliance with her father. And at the beginning of chapter 9, he almost loses his life over. Jehoshaphat almost dies as a result of this. I'll spare you the details for time's sake. But in, in, in chapter 19, after this is all over with, he's coming back to Israel, and the prophet comes out to see him. And what does the prophet say? He says, what are you doing? I'm paraphrasing. Forgive me. He says, God is very angry with you. Now, that's not very encouraging. You know? And my response would be, yeah, I know I screwed up. Don't make any worse. God is very angry with you, but there's still some good in you. <laughs> I love that. Some good. Please, thanks. And he says, you've committed your heart to seeking God. You've removed the idols. And he leaves it at that, or at least that's all that's recorded. God's very angry with you, but there's still some good in you. Now, I don't know about you. What would your response be to that? Mine would be, why try? There's some good, and apparently it's not enough. Do you know what Jehoshaphat's reply was? He did the same thing in chapter 19 that he did in 17, and he went out and it says he turned the people's hearts back to God. Because he didn't let his mistakes get in the way of him being the man that God wanted him to be. What does that mean for me? That means I can't sit on the sidelines. That means God doesn't want me to sit under a rock. God doesn't want me to be discouraged. God doesn't want me to lose confidence. God wants me to trust Him like Jehoshaphat. You see, guys, God will give me specific action when I ask. And something you need to know is that my attitudes are equal to my actions. Okay? Your attitudes are the same as your actions. Um, let's look at this in Galatians chapter 5. This is what it says. It says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you. It starts out talking about the acts of the sinful nature. And it starts off talking about immorality and getting drunk and all these things. And then it turns into stuff like hatred and discord and jealousy. Now, you see, guys, those are not actions in and of themselves, are they? You can sow discord. But that's the action that comes from the heart. You see, guys, you need to understand, when you talk about God telling me to be joyful, that's an action. He's giving you me a specific. And guys, when you look for a specific action, it doesn't just require going and doing something. It may be you be a certain way. That's what goes on. It talks about the fruits of the Spirit here in this passage. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
Not a one of those is listed as an action. Guys, those are attitudes that show up in our actions. So guys, when you talk about God is going to show you specific action, it's going to involve your attitude too. Third thing, guys, we need to understand is that I need to involve others. If I'm going to pass the test, if I'm going to grow in my faith, I need to involve others in that struggle. Second Chronicles 20, this is what Jehoshaphat did. It says, they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in His prophets and you will be successful. Danny, come up here for a minute, would you please? I've asked Danny to come up here and help me. He has no idea what we're going to do. No, you're... <laughs> Years ago, there was a saying that was very popular around here at Greater Alton. It wasn't used in lessons or up the front, but it was used among people, and it was, I got your back. You heard that, right? Now, can you illustrate for me what I got your back means? I mean, it comes from, a, from, from war, correct? And it's when people are placed back to back, and like they're in war, let's turn side with things to us. Okay, and this is the medieval war, so we got swords, Okay. And so what happens in war is we're fighting. He's defending my back, and I'm defending his, and nobody's going to hit my back while I'm fighting in front of me. Correct? Okay. I hate that saying. I got you. No, I'm just being honest with you guys. I believe when it comes to following Jesus, I don't need anybody to have my back. Not like that. Okay, number one is because Jesus is going to protect my back from any attack of Satan. That's number one. Number two is, we're not in a physical fight. You see, guys, we're in a spiritual battle. That's a matter of, are we going to have faith or not? Now, I'm okay with somebody having my back, but I want them to have it this way. You see, what happens is, if you're following Jesus, you don't always get pointed the right direction. You know that? Sometimes we get mad, we get angry, and we're pointing the wrong way. Okay? I got somebody who wants my back. This is what I want them to do. I want to be standing behind me going, you're looking the wrong direction. Jesus is over here. That's where you got to have faith. See, so guys, thank you, Danny. Thank you. Forrest Gump. You see, guys, you need to have people involved in your life, and you need to have people who are going to point you at the target. If the target is following Jesus, if the target is having faith, you need to make sure that that's what the people around you are pointing you at doing. That's what you need. You see, guys, one of the wonderful things about Tim and Alan and I as elders in our meeting is the relationship that we have of just what we just talked about. You see, a year ago we had a meeting here at Greater Alton on Saturday morning, and Tim and Alan and I were up here and we were answering questions and we were talking. And all of a sudden, Alan got involved in an exchange with Sonia Stewart. Some of you remember this. It wasn't pretty. And Tim and I were, were sitting on either side of Alan, and we kind of look at each other, and we kind of go, it's Alan talking. And I don't remember everything that exactly happened as it was, but I somehow got Alan's attention, and I basically communicated to him very clearly, you're not looking at Jesus right now. I didn't say that. I just said, you're out of line, is what I think I said. But it was so cool, guys. I had his back. I wasn't going to stand up and start attacking Sonia and 
defend Alan for how dare you say what you're saying and disagreeing with him. See, that's what normally I got your back means. Okay? I had his back because I was standing behind him pointing him at Jesus. And that's the way these things work. About a month ago, right after this thing with Jordan happened, um, I was on the phone with Alan. Alan, and it was about something else. You know, I'm feeling this. This is what's going on. I'm feeling this. And he says, Gary, you're just, you're wanting justice. And Jesus isn't going to give you justice. That's for him to give. You're not going to see it the way you're wanting. And uh, that's why you're feeling the way you feel. What's he doing? He's saying, Gary, you're not looking at Jesus. You're looking at what you want. You're looking at what you feel. Two days later, I got to get him back. He calls me up, or we were talking, and man, he's about to fire off an email. He's wrote this thing, and he's been fired up. I said, that's not yours to write. That's not yours to respond to. It wasn't written to you. And I, I believe it was this time. It was so cool. He's like, well, I don't see it, but I'm going to defer to you right now. What does that mean? He says, Gary, I know I'm, so, I'm emotionally involved right now, and I am trusting that you are pointing me at Jesus. You are seeing it clearly right now. I'm acknowledging that I'm emotionally involved, and I may not see clearly, and you are. Guys, can I tell you, that's the way God wants us to have relationships here. And you see, guys, here's the deal. You need to have somebody in your life that's pointing you at Jesus. That's pointing you at the target. And you need to be that in somebody else's life. But you can't be that unless that's really the direction you're going. So guys, I, I just I just ask you guys, who is in your life like that? You see, guys, people that's gonna point me at the target. In 2 Chronicles 20, in verse 21, this is what happens. Okay, we just read verse 20, where Jehoshaphat tells the people, have faith in God, have faith in His promise, prophets, and you'll be successful. Then in verse 21, this is what happens. It says, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat appointed people to sing to the Lord and to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness. As they went out at the head of the army, giving thanks, saying, give thanks to the Lord, for His love endures forever. Interesting battle strategy. Put the singers at the front. Okay, I don't know if that meant, hey, maybe they'll get killed first. I don't know. But guys, what's very interesting to me is that he did this. He says, the verse starts out, after consulting the people. What do you think he found out after he consulted the people? I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But I think there's good reason to believe that maybe he found out they weren't as excited about this battle strategy as, as they should be. Maybe that, you know, he told them, do not be discouraged. But I wonder, I have, I, I want to believe, I don't have proof of this, that's why I have to say I want to believe, okay? Jehoshaphat did that because he's saying, guys, let's get our focus right. Let's focus on God. Let's focus on praising God. And he did it after consulting the people. I think he found out, guys, they're a little apprehensive about this. And he's saying, no need to be. Let's focus on how great God is, and we'll be fine. Now, if you go on you read the rest of the story, and I encourage you to do that on your own, it says that at the exact moment that they started this thing, God caused the other armies 
to turn against each other and to kill each other. And when they showed up at the battle position, all they saw were dead bodies. I mean, really cool, but it says they did it at the moment they started to sing. At the moment that they got their focus right. At the moment that somebody pointed them in the right direction. You see, guys, you need somebody who's going to point you in the right direction. And that requires the last point, and this is just me filling in because I know I'm over time, is someone who knows me and knows God. That's who you need involved in your life. That is what I think is significant about Jehoshaphat consulting the people. He, he got to know what's going on in their minds. He already knew God. And he was able to point them at God. Guys, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if you're in the middle of a test right now, you just got through one, or one's coming up that you don't know anything about. But guys, I just want to encourage you to, to look at these things and to say, where am I at? Am I, my, is my life really about becoming a man or a woman of faith? Do I really take specific action based off what God says in every area of my life? Do I let God touch every area of my life? And it becomes an issue of faith. And do I have people involved that help me to do that? See, guys, I think there's plenty of, no matter where you are, there's, there's something there for you to grab a hold of. I don't know what, what it is for you. I encourage you, though, there's an information card in your bulletin. I encourage you to fill that out and just to, just to write on there, hey, I don't have anybody involved in my life like that. Hey, I don't really believe God. Hey, I want to grow. I want to pass the test. You see, guys, I don't know who's going to pray for you over that card. We have a prayer team that prays over those cards. You don't want anybody to read about it. You mark it confidential. And it just goes to, to the elders, I believe. And it doesn't get nobody else praised about it. But guys, that's one very simple way to involve other people. Is by filling out that card. Let's pray.